and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In Genesis chapter 2, we find God performing the very first mess, marriage, and he said, what I have put together, man must not put asunder. In addition to that, he said that I have made them male and female, male and female, I have made them, and he brought Adam together with, well, he created Eve out of Adam, brought them together, and then declared them married. God performed the first marriage, but the United States Congress decided to disrespect that marriage. This week, the United States Congress entered into what was called the Respect for Marriage Act, which in reality was the Disrespect for Marriage Act. It was called House Bill 8404. House Bill 8404, another step toward taking away religious freedoms and proves that Congress has no respect for the Constitution or for the Bible. So I welcome you to Viewpoint today, friends. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms. You say that you say that every day, and it's becoming rather trite. Well, don't take it tritely, because it's true. It's very true. Yesterday I was interviewed on three other programs, and uh, as we move forward through the programs and the interviews, the talk show host said, wow. What you're saying and the way you're saying things is so different than what we're accustomed to. Will you please come back and join us? Why? Because, well, we're speaking with conviction. And it's talk that transforms. And it's designed to not play footsie with the culture, but to take seriously and soberly what God has said concerning our lives, concerning our our present uh, time together, and concerning the future. So today is no exception as we talk about the Disrespect for Marriage Act, but that's not all we're going to talk about here today. We're going to talk about Mary and Joseph. We've entered that season in which we traditionally focus on the birth of Jesus, the birth of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. On the other hand, to be frank, we don't know that he was born in December. We don't know that he was born on December 25th. We don't know exactly when he was born. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us, but it gives us some hints. And one of those hints that, well, he very likely would have been born on the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe that also is the time when he will return. There is much speculation concerning when Jesus was born. Sometimes people celebrate birthdays, not on the exact day of the person's birthday, but in the best time that they can come together so that they can bring a family or bring a group together to celebrate and give honor to that person. If you have a problem with December 25th being labeled the birthday of Christ, then just look at it from the standpoint that majority of people are coming together to say, you know what, Uh, we want to celebrate the birth of Christ because it was one of the most important events in the history of the world. Second only to 
shall we say, his resurrection and his second coming. And so these are the three most important events in the history of the world, and it's worthy of celebrating them. We celebrate all the birthdays in our our families. Some people don't celebrate birthdays because they say, well, did anybody celebrate birthdays in the Bible or in the New Testament? No. Well, some people say, well, they didn't uh, talk about musical instruments in the worship in the New Testament. Therefore, we're not going to worship with musical instruments. I don't find any rationale for that kind of thinking. We find it all through the Old Testament. So we can't form theologies based upon what is not said when things are said earlier. We have to be very careful about where we put our emphasis. We don't want to put the, uh, the shall we say, the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We don't want to do that. We want to try to keep things as straight and as clean uh, as we can, focusing on the things that matter most. Well, it is worthy to celebrate the birth of Christ, and we do that. And from time to time during this week, we're going to have sp- some specific focus on different aspects of that time, that season when Jesus was born. Some of the things that uh, you will encounter during those uh, times in the next uh, uh, three weeks or so may be a little surprising to you, but that's okay because a lot of people aren't familiar with their Bibles anyway. But today on Viewpoint, we're going to be focusing on what the season of Jesus' birth has to say to us about marriage. You'd be surprised. Maybe you won't be surprised, but some might be surprised. And so I hope you'll stay tuned. We know that Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away or to divorce her privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thou son of David, don't fear to take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sin. Oh, we're going to find out a lot more about the birth of Christ and how it relates to marriage in a little bit. But before we get to that, let's go back to the Disrespect for Marriage Act, commonly called the Respect for Marriage Act. Whenever you go and listen to uh, and read an article concerning a particular bill, a particular act of Congress or uh, in legislatures around the country, read very carefully what the title is that's given. Almost invariably, the title is just the opposite of what the bill is about. Just the opposite. So even the title is being used to deceive. It's being used to deflect at best and to deceive most likely. So when they gave this bill, the Respect for Marriage Act, they were actually dissing 
respect for marriage as it has been understood for thousands of years and as it has been understood in this country biblically since its inception. If we were to look at our Constitution, which is the, shall we say, the secular Bible of the country, the political Bible of the country, the First Amendment was written to protect religious organizations from Congress, not to suppress religious morality like the politicians use it. So it wasn't to be the freedom from information, but freedom, excuse me, freedom of religion, but freedom from religion, they say. But that's a total perversion. They'll call it the Freedom of Religion Act, but what they really mean is the freedom from religion. You get the point. So when we get back, we're going to take a look at this Disrespect for Marriage Act for the next, uh, say, five to ten minutes, and we'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. The so-called Respect for Marriage Act was referred to by the writer in the Canadian Free Press, an article there, as Disrespect for Religious Morality Act. Why did he give it that title? Because it's deliberately designed to erode religious morality. In other words, the standards of life, of righteous living from God's perspective. That's what religious morality is. So, if we were to take a look at the First Amendment, it means that Congress cannot legally pass laws to restrict, limit, or abolish a religion. But by the same, in the same way, Congress can't pass laws that incorporate religious practices into government by codifying it, which is what they're trying to do and have done through the Disrespect for Marriage Act. So, notwithstanding the fact that the First Amendment prohibits this kind of action by Congress, the gay lobby or homosexual lobby, through Jerry Nadler, concocted legislation that would codify the religious practice of marriage. It's called the Respect for Marriage Act, and although it's designed to undermine the religious practice of marriage, in fact... Codifying a religious practice like marriage and expanding it to include same-sex unions violates the First Amendment, what politicians have called the separation of church and state. So if Congress gets away with codifying marriage, then there's no such thing as the separation of church and state. So this so-called Respect for Marriage Act, like all legislation that goes through Congress these days, is, for all practical purposes, a lie, or a deception. It should be called the Disrespect for Marriage Act because it was deliberately designed to erode righteousness from God's perspective. Righteous living from the biblical perspective. Now, if we were to look 
back in history, most state legislators recognized the fact that marriage came from the uh, Old Testament and other religious sources. And that's why they created civil unions instead of expanding the religious practice of marriage to include same-sex unions. They know that all religions condemn same-sex marriage with the exception of Satanism and New Age uh, uh, churches. In fact, states that allow same-sex unions originally called it civil unions because the religious practice of marriage has always been defined as the union between a man and a woman, just as God said. Only Colorado calls same-sex unions marriage. Some churches, like the Presbyterian Church USA, redefine marriage as a commitment between two people, whatever they may be, male or female, or however they conceive themselves. Other churches, like the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and the Episcopal Church and the United Church of Christ, allow same-sex marriages now. Although New Age churches allow same-sex unions, all Bibles, including, by the way, the Quran, classify homosexuality as a sin. And Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, calls same-sex relationships an abomination. So churches that allow same-sex marriage are actually ignoring the Bible, just like Congress is ignoring the Constitution. So we're disrespecting marriage as God ordained it, both in the church and in the Congress. So, what this bill, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, allows corrupt officials to label our religious beliefs as discrimination and empower them to use the power of government to persecute for our religious beliefs so that if you don't agree with their same-sex marriage that has now been codified, then you not only are the odd man out, but you are a hater. You are not buying in to the new religious authority, which becomes Congress. Pretty dangerous stuff, isn't it? So that's the Disrespect for Marriage Act. And politicians claim, though, that this bill is necessary because the homosexual community has been discriminated against and that that warrants codifying the religious practice of marriage. But in reality... The purpose of the bill is to infringe on religious freedom. As I said, another step toward taking away our religious freedoms. And that's why we can most accurately call this the Disrespect for Marriage Act. All right. That having been said, to discuss something that is right hot on people's minds and hearts these days, and certainly was on the Congress's mind and heart, We want to shift to take a look at the issue of marriage as it relates to uh, the coming of Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, and his mother, Mary, and his surrogate father, Joseph. You see, God had a father, and his father was Father God. Jesus said, I and my father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. 
So Joseph was not actually Jesus' father. He was like a stepfather. But he wasn't a stepfather because Mary had never been married and was not divorced. So therefore, Joseph is like a surrogate father. He's standing in the place, or an adoptive father. He's standing in the place of God the Father on earth toward Jesus. We need to understand that. Then we find some very interesting language that, if you really think about it, can cause a lot of questions, maybe even consternation, about our theology concerning marriage, our belief concerning issues such as marriage and divorce and remarriage, all of that in the account of Jesus' birth. It's pretty amazing. We're going to talk about it here today on Viewpoint. I hope you'll stay tuned. Now, as I indicated yesterday, during the month of December, we are providing some very special packages of books uh, for you, all my books, and uh, because we want to get this message out. First of all, you need to know, if you haven't been listening to this program too long, you need to know I don't make any money on these books. I don't make any money. In fact, it costs me money, believe it or not. I don't make any money on these books. These books are a labor of love to get a message out to God's people because of the compassion of the Lord, desiring that no one perish, but that all should come to repentance and be prepared for the coming of the Lord. These books are designed specifically, written specifically for that purpose. So we want to get that message out. And so we're making it easier now financially for you to partner with us in this regard to multiply the effect of these books and the message that they contain in your sphere of influence, whether for your children, your grandchildren, uh, your spouse, uh, your pastor, your neighbors, friends, whatever. In other words, let's get together with this and get a message out. Now, you have a choice. There are five different package choices, and they're up on our website, saveus.org. The first choice choice is Antichrist and Messiah. Those two books, uh, you will save $9 in those two books. There's no discount of those two books on our website otherwise. But we're going to give you a discount on those two books bought together and $7 postage in hand. It'll just be $36 for the two of them instead of $44. Also, the book Hearts of the Fathers, a hardbound book, if you'd like to get two of those, that means you'll have a couple to be able to give as gifts to uh, maybe your sons-in-law or your own sons and so on. Uh, We're making those available for a $13 discount for the two books. So it'll be $33 plus $7 postage and handling. The next is a combination of Lasting Love, a book on marriage, Enduring Secrets of Marital Success, and Hearts of the Fathers. There, you're going to save $14 between the two books. In fact, you're going to save as much as the list price on Lasting Love itself. 
But basically, you get the book free, almost free. So uh, these are amazing opportunities. The fourth option is to get three copies of Messiah so that you can give those as gifts. And there you'll save $15 on the three books. Again, we're not providing any discounts on Messiah individually. But if you buy them as a group, we want to help you get the message out. Then finally, three books, The Secret of the Lord, King of the Mountain, and Antichrist. Secret of the Lord, King of the Mountain, and Antichrist. You'll save $19 by buying those three books together. In other words, you're going to get one of them free That's all on our website, saveus.org. Not going to repeat those again, but I'm just bringing your attention to the fact that there are some tremendous opportunities for you there to uh, uh, become a partner in a different way to get this message, these messages out and to change people's lives so that you can truly be working with us and with the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord in the lives of people that you care about. Now, question. Were Jesus or Joseph and Mary considered married? Were they legally married before the birth of Jesus? Were they married before their trip to Bethlehem? Just just interesting questions, probing questions. Why was Joseph referred to as Mary's husband when they were betrothed? Which most people call engaged. And then another question concerning marriage, was Jesus married? That's been a hot subject in the last uh, eight years or so. Somebody came out with a book purportedly contending that there was a 1,400-year-old manuscript that proved that Jesus had been married, that he married Mary Magdalene. Did he? What proof do we have? And does it make any difference? So all of this today on Viewpoint, and we're also going to take a look at some very special uh, secrets, some very special secrets for your marriage and for lasting love. So again, I hope that you'll stay tuned. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always with ever increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And so we find that the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise as we introduce the program today. Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together and was found with child by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for Mary to be espoused to Joseph? Does that mean they were married? Does it mean they were engaged? And if they were engaged, does that engagement look like our engagements today or does it mean something else? Is there something else 
more explicit and of interest, in fact, of definite meaning in a Hebrew young lady being espoused to a man. Then it says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But then he was confronted by an angel that appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, I don't fear to take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Was she his wife at that time? Or did the angel mean Mary who would become his wife? Take her on as a wife. What is this all about? And does it have any meaning for us today? I think it has a lot of meaning. Just hang in there, my good friend. Hang in there. This is Viewpoint. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Was Mary married to Joseph at the time that Jesus was born? Was she married to Joseph at the time that they went to Bethlehem? When did she get married to Joseph? And why is it that Joseph was allowed to divorce her? Doesn't that go against Jesus' words? saying whoever divorces their spouse causes them to commit adultery, and whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery? Does it go against the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, where he says that a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if he be dead, and only if he be dead, then is she free to remarry, and that only in the Lord. So is there inconsistency here between these passages? How are we to understand this? It may not be as difficult as you think, my friend, but it does have huge implications for us in our time. Huge implications for the church, for Christians, and for their pastors. That is, if we have a heart and mind open to see the truth. You see, there has to be a willingness to see the truth. There has to be a willingness to embrace the truth, and there are many reasons why we don't want to. We like loophole living, right? Always trying to find a way in the Bible to justify 
us doing what we want to do instead of being compelled by the Holy Spirit to do what we ought to do. Mm Mm-hmm. You know how that works. I know you do because you're human. We're all human. That's what we're... Humanity, our flesh, commands us uh, to do a command performance to to go along with the edicts or dictates of our flesh no matter what God says in his word. It's true. That's why we're in such trouble. So let's apply these things now concerning the matter of marriage. First of all, we need to understand, you'll hear pastors say this, you'll hear uh, broadcasters say this, well, you have to understand it in context. You've heard that, right? You have to understand it in context. Well, here is the greater context. Please listen carefully. The greater context of the Bible, whether New or Old Testament, is the context in which it was written, that is, the people group, the culture in which it was written. Not just the language in which it was written, the people group and the culture in which it was written. And what people group was that? They were originally called Hebrews when they came out of Egypt. Then they were called Israelites. And then they were called Jews. That's the people group. But then the Hebrews and the Israelites and the Jews had traditions. They were Hebrew traditions. The Bible is a Hebrew book. The Bible is not a Greek book. The Bible is not a Greco-Roman book. The Bible is a Hebrew book. Every author in the Bible, as I recall, but perhaps one, was Hebrew. Everyone. So we need to understand what was being written and why they wrote it that way because of the culture in which it was expressed. And we're going to find that in reality, our understanding of the birth of Jesus and the issue of Mary and Joseph and their marriage and espousal is going to tell us an awful lot about the second coming. Now, that may come as a surprise, but it's true. So hang on there. Here we go. First of all, Mary was espoused to Joseph. The Bible says that. But they had not had any sexual relations together. So when it says that they were espoused, if you read modern language Bibles and commentaries, they'll say they were engaged. But a modern engagement was not like a Hebrew espousal. A modern engagement was sort of like, I intend to get married to you, except if I decide not to. In other words, it's not really a commitment, not an absolute commitment. It's kind of an intention, but not an absolute commitment. But for the Hebrew espousal, it was an absolute commitment. They were espoused to be married. 
In other words, they were for practical and legal purposes married. But they couldn't come together. They could not come together and consummate the marriage because that was the next iteration that had to take place to to fulfill the Hebrew marriage. First, there was the espousal, the promise, but deeper, more committed, more absolute than our engagements today. And then they had the marriage. Now, what happens if during that espousal period, before the parties come together to consummate the marriage, after they are actually married under the hoopah, what happens then? Is the woman an adulterer? Or is she just a fornicator? Well, adultery is breaching the marriage, right? Fornicating, in the way we think of it, is sex before marriage. So if Mary and Joseph had had sexual relations, or Mary had had a sexual relation that produced a babe in her womb before Joseph actually formally married her, even though they were espoused, would she have been an adulteress or a fornicator? Well, she would have been either one of them, for sure, one or the other, which means she could have been stoned. Now, Joseph knew that the culture and the laws of Israel were very strict concerning sexual purity. So he was very, he loved Mary. So the Bible says that he was minded to put her away. In other words, to sever the relationship, the espousal. Now, how could he do that if God was against marriage, against divorce? Would there not be a breach in uh, an inconsistency in the Bible? Is God inconsistent? No. Here's how Joseph could do that. Because when Mary was espoused, if she had been found with child other than through Joseph, she could have been divorced or put away, shall we say, because the marriage had not yet been either consummated or even fulfilled in the sense of the actual marriage having taken place. They were committed to one another, absolutely. Now, people will say, well, that means that if a husband or a wife, during their marriage, 
are discovered to have committed adultery, that's grounds for divorce. Did you know the Bible doesn't teach that? Doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. Now, you may say it implies that, but it doesn't teach that. There's only one place in the Bible that allows a spouse to put away, and that is during the betrothal period before they come together, if they're found to be to have committed adultery or fornication. And that's the situation with Mary and Joseph. Mary did not commit fornication or adultery. That which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph could have put her away if he wanted to lawfully because they had not yet come together and she would then have defrauded him of the expectation of his wife being a virgin. Did you hear that? Even the laws of the states of our union allow fraud uh, in the inducement to be one of the characteristics that allow a marriage to be set aside. I once had a case like that. In France, several years ago, there was a big case. It stirred up a hornet's nest in France because they're so sexually free and oriented over there. And a Muslim man claimed that his wife he discovered was not a virgin and wanted to set aside the marriage. The court said no, but then changed his mind and said yes, because you had a right to expect her to be a virgin, and she defrauded you. Boy, did France get into an upheaval. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. And again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We're talking today about Mary, about Joseph, about the birth of Jesus, and about marriage. All of these things together. And one thing that we have just learned 
through the honest valuation of the account of Mary and Joseph is that Joseph was permitted under law, Jewish law, under Hebrew law, which Jesus followed, to put away Mary because it appeared that she had been a fornicator. She had had sex before marriage, and he was entitled to marry a virgin if she had represented herself to him as a virgin. And if she had not represented herself to him as a virgin, then she could have been subject to a death penalty for impurity in Israel. This was a big deal for Joseph, a huge choice that he had to make. So the Holy Spirit came to Joseph in a dream saying, it's okay, Joseph, you can take under her. Don't try to put her away, even though you may be entitled to under Hebrew law, because she has not been a fornicator. She's not an adulterer. And that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So that leaves us then, since there is no other place in the Bible that justifies divorce for for adultery after marriage, after you've consummated the marriage, no other place. Therefore, this teaches us that once we marry, if we have not discovered any kind of uh, uh, impropriety, there is no more freedom for to divorce. So then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to forgive. Isn't that the message of the Bible? Forgive, and it shall be forgiven you. If you will not forgive others their trespass against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. You say, that's a very tough message. I've been there. I know what, you, what you're talking about, you say. I understand. The whole Christian life is contrary to the life of the flesh, isn't it? to the life of the culture. On the other hand, let's suppose then that you are so uh, distressed. We'll put it that way. You're so distressed over the matter that your spouse has committed adultery, which is a breach, no question about it. It's a terrible breach in the spirit, in the relationship. So what do you do? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us very explicitly. To the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. How clear can it be, friends? Pastors and parachurch leaders will go through hoops to try to distort the simplicity of the consistency of God's Word. God's Word requires either forgiveness or if you divorce, you must remain unmarried. There's no such thing as remarriage unless your spouse 
has died. And that's what if he, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.39 says at the end of that passage, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband be dead, she's at liberty to be married to whom she will, but only of the Lord. In other words, only to a true follower of Christ. Do you know that that was the, the belief in this country until about 60 years ago, so great that people actually murdered their spouse in order to justify a remarriage based upon 1 Corinthians 7.39. I'm, I'm not kidding you. That's how seriously we have drifted away from the belief that was otherwise so clear and so historic in the Word of God. Now, the next thing that we learn from Matthew chapter 1 about the birth of Christ is that Mary, it says, she shall bring forth a son. But then it turns around and says to Joseph, but you shall call his name Jesus. Hmm. Why is that? Because God ordained the husband, the man, to be the head of the home. That's the reason. Do you recall when John the Baptist was born and uh, there was a question, his father John, uh, Zacharias, his father was asked, what is the child's name? And for many, many months, he was dumb. He couldn't speak. And only after he had gone into the temple in the Holy of Holies and come out and the angel loosed his tongue and only then did he tell the people his name is John. Who called him by his name? What is it? Was it John's wife? I mean, uh, uh, Zechariah's wife? No. It was John. It, it was Zechariah. Why? Because he was the father, the head of the home. Now we know also that Joseph took Mary. We have no indication that they actually had gone to the fullness of the marriage in the, the, uh, under the hoopah before the, the public. But he did not know her. In other words, he did not consummate the marriage. He did not do that until after Jesus was born. In other words, it confirmed. Absolutely that Mary was true when she said to the angel in Luke chapter 2, how can this be, knowing I know, seeing that I know not a man? How can this possibly be what you're telling me? That everyone shall call me blessed. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? In other words, I've never had sexual relations with a man. And the angel told her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. God, the Father, called Jesus his Son. And 
God as father told Joseph as surrogate father what his name was to be. Notice the hierarchy of responsibility and authority for naming the child. All of this, friends, is in confirmation of God's plan and purpose for the family, for the authority level in the family, and why that is. We have no indication that anybody argued over what Jesus' name was to be. We have no indication that anybody argued over what John the Baptist's name was to be. No, that choice was reserved by the women and by the mother for the father to make. Now, I don't think there's any problem with a husband and wife uh, working together to name a child. But I do think it might be a problem for a wife to try to superimpose her will over the husband and the father, and rather than come into agreement, she dictates. You know why that's a problem? Because it tells us what the rest of their life is going to be like. She's going to rule the household, contrary to the word, the will, and the way of God. Just saying, friends, just saying. There's so much to be learned as we probe into the scriptures. If we had truly understood what the Bible was saying concerning Mary and Joseph and their espousal and the issue of putting away, we could have eliminated millions of divorces in the church in the past 40 years, couldn't we? Unless people just hardened their hearts. We could have eliminated a million, uh, maybe half a million, a quarter million children every year having been left virtual orphans because of divorce. Could have eliminated it. And certainly eliminated the remarriages which Jesus called adultery. And so we put ourselves in a terrible quagmire spiritually, haven't we? Oh, I'm very sensitive to that. Believe me. It's painful. But we brought the pain upon ourselves. And in this moment of time, just before the second coming of Christ, we need to get that corrected, don't we? We need to come before God and repent. They had to do it in the days of Ezra. Read about it in the book of Ezra. It was painful for Israel because they've done, they did just what America has done, what American Christians have done. And now, were Joseph and Mary considered married? Well, it depends on what you mean by married. They were considered married from the cultural standpoint that they were committed to one another. They were betrothed. But the marriage had not been consummated, and here's the deal. When the father in the Hebrew culture would give authority, realizing that the the man, the husband, the espoused husband, was ready to bring his wife home, he would give him permission to go fetch his wife. And when he gave permission to go fetch his wife, 
The wife did not know exactly when that was going to be. She knew the general season of it, but she didn't know exactly when that would be, so she had to be ready. Her bridesmaids had to be ready. And then, when the uh, authority was given by the father to go get your bride, he would go whatever time, maybe in the middle of the night, with horns blazing, trumpets blazing, and shouting, and go fetch his bride and take her to the house that had been prepared for them. And there, he would consummate the marriage. Does all of this sound familiar to you? It should, because that's exactly what the Bible portrays is going to happen at the second coming of Christ. That's why we have to have a proper understanding of what happened in Matthew chapter 1, friends. We distorted God's prophetic plan and purpose to our own hurt and to our own lack of understanding. I hope this has been somewhat helpful to you. Might be challenging. Might even be convicting to some. That's okay. Conviction is great. It's of the Holy Spirit. But if you fail to respond to the conviction in righteousness and repentance and humility, then the enemy of your soul will come in with condemnation. You don't want to let that happen. You don't want to let that happen. You don't want to reject the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go, let me offer to you a most wonderful gift that you can give to a bride or groom coming up. Uh, we have a, a December wedding going to just this weekend. The book is called Lasting Love, Enduring Secrets for Marital Success. It's a $14 book. We're making it available to you on our website for $10. What a beautiful book it is. What a beautiful gift. Enduring Secrets for Marital Success. On our website, saveus.org, give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. God bless, friends. Be a blessing, and let's humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. In Jesus' You've name. You've listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.